from 6 on 2FM. The two Johnnies. It's Monday, December 5th, and this is Game On. Coming up today, we have Paul Corey in studio and Fergal Brennan on the line to reflect on all of the World Cup action. Ian Tracy will join us to discuss the weekend's rugby. Jane Mangan will break down what happened to Honeysuckle and we'll have tickets to the overlap to give away. If you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Welcome along. Paul Curry is with me in studio. Like many people, we have spent the best part of the last couple of hours watching Croatia and Japan and we were treated to penalties, Paul. We were. The first the first we've seen and um, yeah, it probably wasn't the the most entertaining a match. So, I mean, we were probably spoilt on the weekend with, with some of the football and, and the levels that we saw. And this was maybe a little bit a dip in, in that level, but, you know, not short in drama and Croatia have, have progressed through. Japanese penalties were quite poor, Marie. Looked as if maybe the nerves got the best of them. Minamino's effort was quite tame, probably reflective of, of the nerves that comes with the situation. But it's all about the Croatian goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, to go into a game like that and... Not to make just one save or two saves, but three saves. Like, I mean, you'd be dining out on that for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hat-trick hero. It, you know what? He, he was actually quite good in the game, I thought, as well. And and if you, if you look at the balance of play, I think Croatia probably edged it over, over the course of the, of the 120 minutes. For me, it's probably an unpopular opinion, Marie, but I think Japan have offered very little. I thought they were good in, in short spells against the Germans and, and short spells against the Spanish, but they weren't very progressive I didn't think they were they were very open in their player they never seem to really go to win games they're always about you know containing the opposition and that's only going to get you so far and I thought this was going to be the ceiling for them today and Croatia probably deserve in my eyes to be in, in the quarterfinals a little more but it, it's panning out quite nicely for Brazil if you ask me you know that if they were to get through tonight that's that's not a bad draw to have Okay well if anybody was in the car and didn't get to see what happened in that game uh, let's reflect on it Taken short this time Kamada comes out to Ito sets it for Doan good angle for another brilliant ball in and it's in this time Dyson Maida this time when it fell it fell kindly for Japan and Dyson Maida sweeps in what's just his second goal for the national team it's the big breakthrough goal in this round of 16 tie and it comes the way of Japan Brozovic Goranovic Lovren has seen an open header what a header Ivan Perisic that is outstanding well we wondered where that goal was going to come from Ivan Perisic the man who's provided it so there we go it will be decided from 12 yards after extra time Japan won Croatia won Minamino who was on penalties early in the first group stage of qualifying scored one in the away win in Kyrgyzstan amongst his 10 goals in qualifying to set the tone you will hope here for Japan Minamino saved by Levakovic Nikola Vlasic buried now next up for Japan will be Karu Mitama the man who came up with the big goals in qualifying in Sydney they need this to get up and running oh saved again by Levakovic Marcelo Brozovic all the experience in the world his 81st cap Right down the middle, a nerveless penalty. Croatian control. Takuma Asano. They need him to deliver here. And places it in. Still have the advantage, Croatia, but Japan are a little bit closer now. Maya Yoshida, the captain. Yoshida! Trick of saves for Livakovic and to win it and now to send Croatia through as he will hope it's Mario Pasalic Croatia on their way to a joust with Brazil or South Korea on Friday 
That was Des Curran there commentating on the match that has just finished, which saw create. Uh, uh, move on now to the quarterfinals. Fergal Brennan is with us on the line as well. Fergal, so far this tournament, have you been impressed with Croatia? I've been impressed in terms of the fact that they've done what I anticipated them to do when they find themselves in difficult spots they don't panic um, that word experience keeps getting banded around constantly when it comes to them and they've got absolute excess of it um, the, mid, the starting midfield today Modric, Kovacic and Brozovic I think it was in, in excess of 300 caps between them which there's, there's teams uh, in the World Cup that don't have that in a combined 11 um, I thought it was a bit of an odd decision to take um, those two players Modric and Kovacic off considering it was probably looking like penalties today but a um, bit of a combination of poor Japanese penalties and, and other experienced players stepping up putting their penalties away and, and getting them through. And I think Croatia will continue to do this if they carry on in the competition. They, they're not going to overly surprise teams. We know what they can do. They're very good on the ball, probably lacking goals um, that will propel them from a quarterfinal to a semi or, or even a little bit further. I think they were a bit stronger in that area four years ago, but they... They, they won't they won't kind of react negatively to any sort of a stressful or pressurised situation, which is not something you can say about a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. There's very few teams that have the practical experience of quarters, semis and finals in this competition than those Croatian players. Yeah, it's just an interesting characteristic, Paul, that the team has and, and I guess you kind of associate it with... Uh, with uh, tradition and where they're from and, and what they've been through and, and all the rest, but they... Uh, they don't seem to waste their opportunities. No, they don't. And, and they have that kind of steel and grit, mm-hmm. particularly in the middle of the pitch, which is, is so pivotal in any game and, and that experience to control games. Modric was probably a little off the pace today compared to what we'd seen in the group stages, the way he's dictating things with himself, Kovacic and Brozovic. And that kind of, that foundation within in the middle of the park is exactly kind of where Croatia go and, and they lean on in, in certain big games and it gets them through and they have that kind of grit and steel to to graft results and it, it tends to come from that middle of the pitch. Gavardiol at centre-half is a superb player. You know, he's, he's only 20, 21 years of age playing with RB Leipzig. He's been linked with a, a number of Premier League clubs. Do not be surprised if you see him in, in English football soon because he's superb. His use of the ball coming out of the back is an aggressive defender and himself and Lovren have got a good relationship there. So when you look at the spine of the team, there's a good foundation that they can build on. I would absolutely reiterate what Fergal said. They lack a real kind of killer instinct in the final third. The mm-hmm. Perisic goal was a very good header, but outside of that, there's there's a lack of energy almost when, when they go about teams um, and that might restrict them in the next round but at this moment in time to, to get to the quarterfinals they've had to show a steel and grit and they certainly have that experience to, to get them through sticky situations Let's look at uh, last night's game so England beat Senegal 3-0 last night Fergal there was a an expectation or um, a suggestion that it might have been a banana skin for them but it, it wasn't that case the case for, like that at all No um, and I think we've we've seen what Gareth Southgate's England team have, have started to develop quite a strong habit of is avoiding situations where they pile the pressure on themselves and it gets to late in the game and they need a goal and then potentially it goes to extra time or penalties or that type of a situation. It was nervous for them uh, right the way up until the first goal because Senegal had a couple of chances. Jordan Pickford made one really good save, but you just felt that with the first goal and definitely with the second goal, they just took the game away from Senegal. And I think Senegal, unfortunately, is is a massive what-if moment for them with, with no Sadio Mane because... I do genuinely think if he'd been there 
we could have seen the the African team, uh, sorry, an African team breaking on into the last four, which hasn't been seen in the World Cup. But I think by half time and certainly probably by the hour mark, Senegal's race was run. And from England's perspective, they they did exactly what they needed to do that was in front of them. Um, they've got an absolutely massive test now on mm-hmm. on Saturday up against France. Um, but I think they were expected to win. Maybe they won by one more goal than maybe they anticipated, but very professional, very organised. But again, if you're looking for a bit of spark and looking for a bit of excitement, particularly on Saturday in that game, it's coming from France rather than England. Yeah, it is. That was, look, I think when that one comes around, it's just going to be um, fantastic viewing. Well, we hope it is anyway. Um, but Fergal, they didn't have Raheem Sterling. He had to go home or he's on his way home because there was an incident um, in his in his house with his family at a burglary. And um, you'd have to feel for him really because, I mean, he's over there. You can, Everybody knows how dedicated he is to football. This is his dream. And for something like that to happen and for his family to be in, in danger, it's just awful. Of course, um, and I think England and, and Southgate handled the situa- mm. situation quite well. I was speaking to a colleague who's in Qatar for the World Cup and he's um, covering the England team and he said that the brief was to say to the media before the game that he's not involved due to personal reasons and then once the game was over, they were willing to um, officially update in terms of what's happened and a horrifying experience, particularly he's so far away from home to receive that call and then immediately head back. He is back in, in the UK now and the FA have said it's effectively up to him whether he goes back to Qatar or not. He obviously has a few days now to to speak with his family and and assess the situation back home. Um, I would probably say I think he will return based on the fact that there is a bit of a lag of of days between now and and the France match, but a horrible situation to have to deal with. Um, But I think in terms of professionalism from England, from Southgate, from everyone involved, I think they handled it really well. Um, The decision is now on, on Raheem Sterling and it's completely on him because it's a very personal and upsetting situation happens a lot Murray happens you know mm-hmm. particularly you see with, with some of the, the top teams when they travel to Champions League games If think back to Angel Di Maria that really kind of yeah. hampered him when he went went to Manchester United how he impacted his family so it's, it's an absolutely terrible situation uh, for, for Sterling to find himself in on a footballing side of things it probably played Gareth Sakeet's hand I'm sure he was you know to and fro on whether or not he goes with Foden mm. or Sterling and it, it probably worked out in a way because Foden and Saka gave so much in the final third yesterday that it that it worked nicely for him where does he go now come the France game you would have to say that Saka and Foden are in form it'd be difficult to change them yeah it really would and it was interesting today for uh, Saka was asked about uh, Kylian Mbappe while well, he was compared to him in ways and uh, his answer just saying there's only one Kylian Mbappe and he's dead right he is um, and you just see by Mbappe in every game that he just looks absolutely hungry for this um, he did an interview over the weekend where he said it's his obsession yeah. to win the World Cup he's dedicated his whole season around it and for as good as Saka has been, arguably England's best player or certainly one of England's best players, Mbappe's been the best player in the tournament so far and he is absolutely banging form and there's there's going to be so much attention around him in the build-up to France playing England at the weekend and he, it's not that obviously France are just focused on him, they've got a fantastic team yeah. but at the moment he, he looks almost unstoppable yeah he's so focused and, and like that interview that you're referencing there when he was asked about uh, Golden Boot and he's just doesn't care just wants to win simple as that Paul and mm. even when you're listening to that like 
as a as a fan or, or you know as a journalist but like imagine being his teammate and hearing that like you're it's exactly what you want to hear oh, he exudes confidence and the scary thing is he's he's gone past Ronaldo now in, in goal mm-hmm. scorer World Cup finals he's up to nine and don't bet against him kind of chasing down Miroslav Klose I'm mm-hmm. sure he's looking at that target I think it's 16 that he needs to get to and he's obviously got a couple of games left in this competition on the basis of what we saw on the weekend what's also frightening is Matty Cash actually had a good game at right back mm-hmm. And Mbappe scored two, and he's assisted Giroud for his goal. So he was just—he was absolutely electric, Marie. You know, the, he's got so much to his game. The first goal was such a a good example of you can't actually uh, give him a yard or, mm-hmm. or space to operate in because the precision and the power of the strike was absolutely excellent. And for the second goal, the one that he's actually received off Thuram, his ability to to just work half a yard—you know—that explosive pace that he has even over that kind of one two yard distance and then just the the precision of the strike again he's got so many tools to his game he can slow you down he can run in behind there's times where he's given defenders 10 yards and he, he's putting on the afterburn and he's almost catching up or going beyond um, a back four so it's it's a huge dilemma for England looking at how they deal with him coming into this game because the form that he's in he can actually go and, and open teams up himself Has anybody measured uh, his speed against Kyle Walker's on uh, on a pitch? I'm waiting for the graphics and all the rest to come out <laughs> The one thing that would worry me about Kyle Walker is he hasn't played a lot of football yeah. coming into this competition I thought there was instances last night that Sar gave him a really difficult time I think that was his first 90 minutes since October 2 which is an awful long period of time and people are saying he's got the perfect game and he's, he's got all the attributes to deal with him he absolutely does when he's fully fit but to throw him in off the back of a long injury to come up against somebody who's probably the best player in world football at the moment is a completely different story you wouldn't story. be sleeping well at night Paul, no, would I, wouldn't. I think Southgate would be better off going to the five give Trippier yeah. a right wing back double up on Mbappe and kind of take turns and kick lumps out of him if you have to because that seems like the only way to stop him yeah it, you do think that he probably will have to do that alright um, Fergal I have to say I have been enjoying the uh, pictures of Trent Alexander-Arnold and Jude Bellingham doing their uh, their tourist bits in, in Qatar can we read anything into that from a club point of view? Liverpool fans will be hoping that they can read something into that and, and obviously Jordan Henderson last night the, yeah. the celebration the two of them together and the, the post-match interview and there's there's, uh, there's clearly a, a bit of a, a bromance going on between them all and then Trent because he's not playing much he's able to take him around and, and show mm-hmm. him the sights in, in Qatar um, I think from a from a Premier League perspective from what I'm hearing and, and people that I'm speaking to Liverpool are leading the race from a Premier League side um, it's just whether an offer comes in from a Real Madrid or mm. a PSG that Liverpool will be concerned with um, because of the transfer fee that Borussia Dortmund can demand. We're talking easily in excess of €100 million, potentially pushing on towards €150. That will be an issue. Liverpool's strongest card is they do seem to have a good relationship with him, with his representatives and and with Dortmund as well. But money talks in these situations and if someone else offers 20 to £30 million more in a transfer fee and a significant higher salary, then all the tourist spots in the world I think might not be enough to to persuade him to go to Liverpool I'd say Klopp is sending WhatsApp messages going any news (laughs) Uh, I'm sure they'll do anything to get their hands on him he was fantastic last night wasn't he like physically he's got every attribute you could want from a centre midfield player he's he's so Powerful over a couple of yards. He's he's got the engine to get up mm. and down the so pitch. Composed for so composed for young composed. That the, the goal for Harry Kane. The way he he just manipulated the ball and he took it past mm-hmm. two Senegalese players before releasing the ball to Phil Foden. Many would have rushed that pass and and maybe 
being a, you know not as accurate as he was I just thought he was excellent in everything that he did but don't underestimate the effect that Jordan Henderson has had on Jude Bellingham within that middle mm-hmm. of the pitch the game against USA when it was just Rice and Bellingham they looked a little overrun and that's probably because Bellingham likes to roam and he likes to maybe run out of the middle of the pitch it's a really good balance I think with, with Rice and with Jordan Henderson behind him and it gives him that freedom to, to go and create and he did that I mean, perfectly last night. His agent has the easiest job in football. <laughs> Every club in Europe will want you, Bellingham. Oh, yeah, I felt a bit sorry for Henderson in the lead into this game, Fergal, because he was getting so much um, negativity around uh, even picking him for selection. Now, he obviously proved a point last night, but um, I just couldn't get my head around this anybody but Henderson brigade. I, I would agree. Um, I think in terms of his performances for Liverpool and his performances for England at, at major tournaments, he's been effective. He's got the experience to, to manage difficult situations in games and he's got quality um, on a, probably on a more consistent basis than one or two other names that could have started for England last night. And I think that's what Gareth Southgate appreciates in his game. That's what the rest of the team and the squad appreciate within his game. And without throwing too many cliches around, he, he does fit that mould of being a good pro um, that he's demanding of himself, demanding of the players around him. But the goal shows the quality that he's got. I just think there is this idea maybe with the England team that because there is a lot of exciting players that are not getting in the team, that because he's not maybe having the kind of showbiz name of a Grealish or a Foden or a player like that, that it's an easy player to pick on almost. But we're, we're talking about a Premier League winning mm-hmm. captain, a Champions League winning captain, someone with hundreds of Premier League games worth of experience trusted by Jurgen Klopp in some of the biggest games. Um, I agree. I, f- I find it absolutely ridiculous. But I think it's a lot of it is perception. Um, in terms of what he does in the game, a lot of it is very necessary, whereas other players do stuff in a game that make people watching it go, oh, that was impressive. But they might do that once, whereas Henderson will do four, five, six things absolutely perfectly to make sure that his team wins. Yeah, and he has that leadership as well, Paul. I mean, it's unquestionable. He does, uh, and leadership and experience of, of winning those major trophies, and you know, with Rice and Bellingham in the middle of the pitch, they're maybe not blessed with with being in those you know kind of situations before. Rice was obviously involved in the European Championships, but at club level, he's not been maybe at the elite level where he where he's been competing for Champions League. Bellingham is very early on in his career, so you know Henderson lends that and you can hear him like you can hear him even watching it at home you can hear the the communication that he has with not only the players in front of him but the players behind him and he's got obviously the the wherewithal to to just organize people around him maybe to sit in when the opposition has has possession and just soak it up for a couple of minutes so that understanding of the role that understanding of what's needed at different moments in different games is pivotal to them because without that and when Mason Mount played in that central role it looked a bit disjointed, I think, when they when they have that basis of Henderson and Rice in the European Championships. It was Rice and Phillips. They look a better outfit. And Kane has the goal now, so you could almost expect that the floodgates might open, well, depending on who they're playing. But um, if the fact that he has scored now takes a bit of pressure off as well, Fergal. It does, um, and he, he was asked about it in his interview after the game, and he, he was quite straightforward about his, his role within the team and how it's not just about him and about the goals that he scores. But he is huge for England um, and it took him a while to get going at Euro 2020 and, and the World Cup in Russia a couple of years ago but there was there was games where he didn't score but his, his performance made an impact on the team I think there is players around him that can get goals but you do get the sense that if England need a big moment which they're probably going to need on Saturday against France a penalty a free kick a big chance in the box he's still their best option to, to put it in the back of the net and win an enormous game for them and and that's exactly what Saturday is 
England are looking at Kane in a different way, but in a similar way that France are looking to Mbappe of, you're the guy that can win England the game, you're the guy that can win France the game. And that goal will obviously relax him a little bit. Um, it's going to be incredible on Saturday. Defensively, how are France equipped, Paul? There were certainly question marks in the first half against Poland where, where they got open or cut open a couple of times, particularly then Jules Kunde's side. And uh, Zielinski had that wonderful chance in the first half to put Poland ahead. And there's a couple of question marks. I mean, Rafael Varane is, is a bit half cut coming into the competition as well. And he maybe has shown at times that he's not moving as freely as, as he has done previously. And there's always a question mark for me about Hugo Lloris. So there's, mm-hmm. there, there's definitely frailties that you can expose and you can get at if an England front three is, is up and running and, and playing well. Gaps, most certainly there. They probably don't get a huge amount of protection w- without uh, N'Golo Kante in the middle of the pitch. I'm not sure the other two have the same sort of defensive mentality that he would. So yes, there's, there's absolutely areas within that back four that you can get at Jules Kunde is not a, a natural fullback and if you have somebody like a Saka a Foden a Sterling whoever that might be you can expose him and maybe get in behind and supply the likes of Harry Kane the French are, are far more of a probably an offensive team whereby they, they think about going forward they think about dominating possession I think defensively probably it's more of a, a secondary thought than it is to, to go and attack so yes there's 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 areas within that back four that you can expose and and you can take advantage of, but you absolutely have to do it right at the other end because they're so good going forward that if if you if you commit players and, and try to get at them, they've got players who can hit you on the break and, and can really cause you problems. Uh, Fergal, we're going to leave the uh, France-England matchups and all the rest till later in the week, but before we just finish this section of our football chat, are we going to see um, Ronaldo in Saudi Arabia, do you think? Uh, it does seem to, to have some uh, clout to it, this story that Al Nasser have, have offered him a, a world record figure to join them. Two and a half year contract is on the table, obviously, leaving United, there's no transfer fee involved. This does seem to be his best option. Um, all the talk of he wants to play Champions League football and he wants to stay in Europe. Nobody has been forthcoming. Um, I think this offer is on the table. I think it's something that's being considered. I think the final decision now comes down to him because... This will be the end of his European career, his Champions League career. Is he this determined to continue to make money and continue to play for Portugal? Um, there's also the possibility that he could be an ambassador for the Saudi Arabian bid yeah. for the 2030 World Cup. I think it has got a strong potential to happen. I think it's either the Middle East or the US for him. Um, he's not going to be kicking his heels for the rest of the season. And I think if he can be convinced by the huge pay packet and everything else that comes with it, I think it could happen. Isn't Messi signed up with the Saudis as well? They, he's kind of fronting the the World Cup campaign or he's in some sort of a, yeah. a role there. But I mean, we're not really talking about that at the moment, which is terrible. We're just talking about uh, wanting him to win this. But that's lurking in the background as well. Like there is, you know, he is tainted because of that. Yeah, I mean, I'd much rather speak about Messi's magic on the weekend, but we can't ignore mm. what, what what is going on there. And, and if Ronaldo was to join that... Campaign, it would uh, you, you would certainly have to ask questions about the character. Do they need the money? Like you know, I read Roy McIlroy's article at the weekend, and he's talking about live golf, and and he asked that question like, how much do you need? Like mm. when when do you say, okay, I, I have enough now, I don't need to to go and uh, promote a, a country like that. And you know, he's right. He's, he he said it before. I'm still going to use the four same rooms in my house. I'm still going to use the exact same toothbrush. Like it's not going to make a, a huge difference. And you look at these players as well and wonder the exact same. Like how much do they need, um, and and at what cost? 
Uh, okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that and uh, we'll see what Messi gets up to as well. But it is definitely something that is starting to rear its head as the tournament goes on and it becomes uh, more clear and um, more into focus how deep Messi's relationship is with the 2030 bid from uh, Saudi. Fergal, we will chat to you in a little bit. We're going to look ahead to Brazil and South Korea uh, later on in the programme, but we'll say goodbye for now. Paul, stay with us um, as well. We have uh, lots more to come in this hour. And just before um, we do take a break, we have a competition. The Overlap, the Sky Sports YouTube channel featuring Roy Keane, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher have announced their very first Irish live show in the Three Arena on the 23rd of March next year. That's exciting. Uh, Roy Keane in the Three Arena. So the trio will lift the lid on their celebrated playing careers as well as delve deep in today's, into today's hottest sporting issues and field questions from the audience. You can expect insightful opinion and more than the odd heated exchange. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10am 10 10 and we want to give you the chance to win a pair to their show every day this week. All you have to do is answer the following question. Which overlap pundit once played for Cove Ramblers? Simply text your answer to 51552 and make sure to include your full name, county and email address in your text. As always, competition terms and conditions apply. C2FM.ie. Paul, did you see Roy Keane's, well, sorry, lack of celebration reaction uh, to Harry Kane's goal? It was brilliant. (laughs) And the other two lads were jumping up and down (laughs) beside him. I'm I'm not surprised. Absolutely not surprised. I think the Senegalese fans were annoying him, dancing, dancing and below I think that was probably doing his head in um, OK do text us your answer to 51552 because I would say that would be a cracking show we're going to take a very quick break now Game on on 2FM to turn our attention to rugby there was big news earlier today Warren Gatland was confirmed as the head coach of Wales uh, there was lots of reports that he would be and he was Keen Tracy is with us now in studio a surprise to no one I guess Keen. Yeah, it kind of been flagged, I suppose, Marie, for the last couple of weeks. Um, Wayne Pivak was under huge pressure. I mean, when you lose to Georgia and Wales at home in the same mm-hmm. year, you're always going to be on thin ice. And I think Warren Gatland has been kind of, you know, hanging around, making himself known that he was going to be available if, if you know, the Wayne Pivak did get the chop. And sure enough, he did. So, yeah, like, I mean, Ireland's first game of the Six Nations next year is in, is in Cardiff. So that becomes much more interesting now already. Just when you thought there was no more left to be said about Warren Gatlin going up against our teams, we're back here again. There's a strong sense of deja vu about it. but And Johnny Sexton is still there. Yeah, like, I mean, you're, you're kind of wondering what year are we talking about here at all. But it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. I mean, Wales are such a rabble from the top mm-hmm. down that getting Gatlin in, you know, I, I've no doubt that it will probably steady the ship but the problems in Welsh rugby run far deeper in terms of their clubs and how competitive or not competitive they are so I mean while the top of the tree might look fine getting Gatland in and you know he'll steady the ship there's there's far more deeper issues and of course Sean Edwards won't be there with him as well and he was a major part of his success um, when he was successful at Wales and he's now doing do, having great things with France so What do you think is attracting him back to Wales? I would imagine a big fat paycheck is probably one of the things. But he, look, he he's been in he lived in Wales for so long with his he wife. He was gone. He was you know, gone, and yeah. he went back to New Zealand, and he took over the Chiefs, and it didn't go particularly well for him back there. And I'd say there's probably a comfort in knowing, you know, he come back to Wales. He like it's funny like a lot of people will say oh he's loved in Wales but a lot of the time he got criticism for the style of play he was playing you know Warren Ball and if we think back to the Lions yeah. tour last year in terms of the rugby he had the Lions playing it wasn't great so um, and it's a project like you know as well it, it's not like he's going to he's 
going into a situation as you outlined that it's all rosy like it's going to well, be a lot of work this is it like they've looked at, clearly the WRU have looked at what South Africa did at the previous World Cup but Rassi Erasmus had 18 mm-hmm. months to turn things around and probably South Africa were a little bit more steady maybe than, than Wales were so like you know the game has moved on as well which we saw in the Lions tour so I think Warren Gatlin is going to have to adapt as well he doesn't have the same quality of players that he had when he was winning Grand Slams and doing like doing unbelievable things at Wales you'd have to say they do have quality within the squad they have a few young players coming through but by and large it's not the same standard of squad that he would have been used to working in So how do you think he's going to go? Uh, I th- I think he'll do well next year mm-hmm. to be honest with you because I think the players like if there's one thing he'll do the players want to play for him and like I said Ireland are going there first up in Cardiff and you know if Wayne Pivak had been in charge and you look at how much of a rabble they've been you'd probably be quietly confident but I think the complexion of even that game alone changes um, so I think he'll do well uh, they have a fairly manageable World Cup pool as well if I remember correctly so um he doesn't have a whole lot of time. He's not going to have any run, running games into the Six Nations. But um, I suppose if anyone can probably bring people together, maybe it is Warren Gatlin. But like I said, it was interesting to see in the statement that the WR you released today, they said that um, a root and branch or something kind of paraphrasing was mm. going to be part of his remit when he comes in. So maybe he's going to have more of a director of rugby role and try and fix up the problems behind the scenes as well. Be interesting to see who ends up joining him there as well, mm. like what, he, what his ticket ends up like. Uh, it's funny, the uh, the Autumn Internationals, at the end of the Autumn Internationals are, are turning into um, a bit like the end of the GA season <laughs> because it's like there's a managerial uh, merry-go-round. So we know that England were having a review today with Eddie Jones. Um, no one's really sure what's going to happen, although it was suggested that maybe if he was gone, he'd be gone first thing in the morning or be gone early or the news would come out. But it's been quiet. Yeah, I think my understanding was that the meeting was going to be held this afternoon. So it's probably not a surprise we haven't heard anything yet. I mean, it's kind of like waiting for a bit of white smoke, mm-hmm. really, isn't it? But if you're to read the, the English media who are usually very much on top of these things, uh, it sounds like he's g- g- going to be gone, which I, to be honest, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised that Pivak's gone. But I thought Eddie Jones mm-hmm. would keep his job. Now, maybe he will, but they seem to have Steve Borthwick the Leicester coach lined up to to take over if he is to get the chop but again you're you're it's really not a lot of time for a new coach to come in for you've a six nations campaign world cup warm up games which are very tricky to get much done in them anyway because you're so close to the World Cup you don't want to pick up injuries and that and then all of a sudden you're into a World Cup so um, I think that decision is a little bit trickier than or less straightforward than the Welsh decision I still think Eddie Jones could turn it around but I suppose he hasn't been winning friends with the stuff he's been saying publicly about you know, he doesn't care what people think and that yet the the paying fans going to Twickenham are the ones who really should be caring about because they're the ones who, who keep him in a job, essentially, you know. And there's talk that ticket sales for next year's Six Nations games in Twickenham are not going well. And a lot of that is down to the style of rugby that England yeah. have been playing as well because they haven't been playing well at all. And you look at in the Premiership in particular at the moment, um, a lot of teams have kind of moved away from that kind of attritional style, whereas England are still stuck in it. So you're seeing guys like Marcus Smith who's really struggled to translate his form with Harlequins into England and a lot of that is down to the structures I think that they've been playing so uh, it'll be interesting we just got to keep our eyes peeled on Twitter for the white smoke I think Yeah Okay so what about the uh, URC this weekend so Munster have now won three games on the bounce 
Yeah, um, Munster's definitely green shoots, I think, over mm-hmm. the last few weeks. And that was a very, very impressive win that they got over in Edinburgh. I think it was 31 unanswered mm-hmm. points that they scored. Um, they had a poor start and you were kind of thinking, wow, this could be, you know, one step forward, mm-hmm. two steps back. But I think I think the game down in Cork in Porky Cueve, I think we, we were chatting about it a couple of weeks ago, that has really given them a lift. And at the time, it was kind of an easy thing to say, oh, you know, it was a free shot. But you can see that they've, there's been tangible progress I think you're starting to see more signs of Mike Prendergast attacking game plan and they've kind of they're, they're mixing I think their game well I think under Johan van Grand they were guilty of kind of going too far the other way and they haven't kind of forgotten their roots and what they're good at in terms of the mall and things like that but we're starting to see you know like guy like Antoine Frisch is making a big big difference um, in terms of getting the ball into the wider channels Joey Carberry I thought was excellent yeah. in that game I thought it was his best game I have to say in a long time and to be to, to be considering he threw an intercept pass for one of the Edinburgh tries to have recovered from that and have played so well I think was huge because it's been a long time since we've seen Joey Carberry play with that swagger that we know he has he was attacking the line he was playing flat he scored a try himself he created a couple of tries as well so that's huge I think for Munster going forward and it's huge for Joey Carberry as well because a lot of talk around Jack Crowley coming yeah. back in and stuff so he's kind of kept him at bay but it was a very very impressive performance by Munster they obviously got Toulouse coming to Tom Park on Sunday which in in some in some ways is a bit of a free shot because it, not a lot of people will be expecting Munster to win even though it is at Tom and Park but internally the, like you said they're building up a bit of momentum now and there's green shoot, shoots in terms of what they're trying to do which is I think very encouraging Yeah I, th- I thought it was really positive just even their shape and they look sharper mm. and it's just good timing heading into this weekend Yeah like it was never going to be easy and like anytime you know if you listen to Mike Prendergast speaking he's said a couple of times that you know they've had to change people's habits so like while players you know of course they want to play a more expansive style of play but they haven't been used to playing that in Munster over the last few years and it's difficult to to get guys to change when you're when you're in habits of doing something it's difficult to get them to change it but that was always going to be I think the you know a, a process in terms of you know, Mike Prendergast wants you to get the, the ball wide, but a lot of that is based on getting quick rock ball. And we've seen how successful Ireland have been at that. So I think players are starting to click now. It was always going to take a little bit of time, but they're certainly not the finished article, I would say, at all. And, you know, in a way, I don't think it will happen, but you wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Toulouse brought them crashing back down to earth this weekend. I don't think it will happen, but they're still very much a work in progress, but certainly going in the right direction. Yeah, I guess a little bit of uh, fragility about them still. Um, not really for a Leinster, though. So they have now made it nine wins out of when they defeated all out of nine uh, they defeated Ulster 38 at uh, 29 and we're down to 14 men for an hour yeah they kind of backed themselves into a corner with Keen Healy's uh, red card but like for whatever reason Ulster just collapsed and I think we'll get on and talk about how well uh, Leinster played but from an Ulster point of view it was shocking I thought mm-hmm. like really really poor stuff and you know this, it was kind of the Ulster of old like you, you, it was the Jekyll and Hyde that we've seen of them over the last few years they were brilliant yeah. for the first 20 minutes or whatever it was scoring the three tries and then they just mentally collapsed That's like I don't know I don't know what happened but it's really really disappointing having put yourself in a position like that they beat Leinster the RDS last year I think it was their first time in eight years off the top of my head maybe so they put themselves in a good position to go and do it again and yeah they just mentally collapsed and I think that that is very concerning from from an Ulster point of view Uh, but yeah Leinster were so so impressive Um, the try in half time that Ronan Kelleher got really changed the, the the focus of the game. I think obviously Leo Cullen got them in at half time, um, but it was just at times it looked like it was Ulster that were playing with fourteen men, and I know they had two yellow cards in the second half, and that kind of you know obviously evened things up. But even when it was fifteen against fourteen, um, it was crazy really. Ulster's game management was just really really poor. John Cooney going off. Um, 
had a big detrimental impact. It looked like uh, Billy Burns was carrying an injury. He just didn't. He didn't really. You, in a game like that, you want your out half to step up and control the show, particularly when Nathan Doak comes off the bench, who Leinster clearly went after. And there's been lots of talk about why Nathan Doak isn't in the the Ireland squad. And I think you know this might sound harsh, but I think we probably saw why he hasn't. He's still very young. He's learning a lot. Um, Guys like Josh van der Fleer, Ryan Ryan Baird, they just went hunting mm-hmm. after him, and you know he he was made look. I think uh, he, she, the inexperience that he has was made to show, but he wasn't helped. I don't think by Billy Burns outside of him, but maybe not taking more responsibility as well. So, and for me, that is the age old problem with Ulster. Uh, Billy Burns at ten, like I, I think you're going to struggle to win trophies if I'm being honest with him at ten. So. Um, Leinster did a lot of good things, but it was the kind of Ulster soft underbelly that was their undoing again. Uh, Connacht did well, though. I mean, we thought they were going to beat Benetton all right, but still, they, they didn't really let them play. Yeah, they needed they needed that after the the poor performance against Munster. Yeah, like the Connacht are in a kind of a weird um, situation where Andy Friend has obviously announced that he's leaving at the end of the season, and you don't want players to kind of you know pack up their bags and say right, okay, you know who's going to be the next man in. Particularly because it sounds like Pete Wilkins is going to be in the running, and he's obviously senior coach there at the moment, so he could be taken over. So it was a huge win for Connacht. Um, to get back on track because before the break they had racked up three victories against uh, the Welsh team so uh, it was a really disappointing performance against Munster but yeah they're back on track they're obviously playing Challenge Challenge Cup this weekend they're not in the Heineken Cup I think it'll be very interesting to see how they approach the Challenge Cup do they go all in or are they more going to be focused on the URC to try and get into the Challenge Cup that way next season but it'd be nice to see them get a run I think in the Challenge Cup because it's definitely if they if they put a bit of momentum together they could, they could end up going far than that Okay, Keen Tracy, thank you so much. And we'll be keeping an eye on the Eddie Jones story as well throughout the rest of the hour. And just a quick reminder of our competition, The Overlap, the Sky Sports YouTube channel, featuring Roy Keane, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher have announced their very first Irish live show in the Three Arena on the 23rd of March next year. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10am. And we want to give you the chance to win a pair of tickets to their show every day this week. All you have to do is answer the following question. Which Overlap pundit once played for Cove Rambler? Simply text your answer to 51552 and make sure to include your full name, county and email address in your text. As always, competition terms and conditions apply. See 2FM.ie Game on on 2FM And it's Honey Suckle chase to the final flight by Classical Dream. Teopo's quickening up on the outside. Honey Suckle's been headed inside the final 150 yards. Classical Dream and Teopo go by Honey Suckle. Going to the line. Teopo on the near side of Classical Dream. Honey Suckle is beaten for the first time in her life. Yeah, that was the closing stages of the Hatton's Grace hurdle, which saw Honeysuckle dramatically beaten by Teupu yesterday at Fairy House. To talk us through what happened, Jane Mangan joins us on the line now. Jane, bit of a shock. Major shock, Marie. We were all... I was on air live reacting to that. Uh, there was a lot of people came to Fairy House yesterday because she is a, a filly that has garnered such a following. And if I'm honest, once I was over the shock of the initial result... When you measure it up, I actually thought it was a good run. Um, yes, she lost her unbeaten record. That was disappointing. And I'm sure people were as just disappointed for the mayor to get beaten herself uh, than, than everything else. But I think when you consider she's only a length or a length and a half behind a horse called Classical Dream, he's raised 163, you could say, you could argue that she probably ran better yesterday in defeat than she did when she won beating Ronald Pump last year. So 
One thing I will say is she went down fighting, she battled, and if she was to meet those two rivals on good ground over two miles, I'd be confident she'd turn the form around. But yesterday was the Hoopo's day. He's a five-year-old, and he's an improving horse who likes soft ground. So he's had his ideal conditions, but uh, he's definitely a horse that's on the improve. And was a deserved winner yesterday, and what was a red-letter day for Jack Kennedy and Gordon Elliott. How big a factor were the conditions, Jane? You have to say on your seasonal reappearance on soft ground over two and a half miles, it probably took its toll. But I'm not making an excuse for Honeysuckle. She turned in as she customarily does, travelling very well and gave a great jump at the second last. It just didn't happen for her yesterday. But I do think she ran very well and I'm not giving up hope. I think she's still the mare that we believe she is. She's still a brilliant mare. And um, I, I just wouldn't go reacting dramatically or drastically because back over two miles we know it's her preference and uh, she's still a champion so look the winning sequence of 16 from 16 came to an end and that's probably what people are mourning that that is over but she is still around she this is her last season and I think for connections involved with her directly they might be able to enjoy her a little bit more now with that pressure off because knowing that she has only maybe three or four runs left, that will just take a little bit of pressure off them. Yeah, that's actually a good point and pressure off everybody as well because going into yesterday, it was just uh, obsession. Really. You know what was really lovely, Marie, actually, was the reception she got when she came back to the third place oh. spot. Uh, that is sport at its best, that in the seat, everybody is wonderfully in victory and in awe of, of people of horses winning and, and jockeys winning but to come back into a uh, reception that she got yesterday for finishing third was I suppose a testament to the pe- the respect people have for her um, I must admit I turned around as the race was on and I saw a number of dedicated people holding their position at the number one spot at the winner's enclosure because they wanted to hold that spot for hopefully when she won and I remember that happening for the Hatton's Grace last year as well. So, look, there was a lot of dedicated racing fans turned out to Fairy House yesterday. They maybe didn't get the results they were expecting, but if you turn up to the Dublin Racing Festival where we're likely to next see her, hopefully we'll see her back at her best. Was there anything that Rachel Blackmore could have done differently? I don't think so. I think the race went perfectly to plan. She was in the position she wanted to be in as she usually rides her that way and Paul Townend was tracking her he was the eventual second and Jack Kennedy was right beside Paul Townend he's your eventual winner so as tactics go I think everything went to plan and there is no excuse she just got beaten I think she ran a very good race she's not gone by any means I think she can still be a force to be reckoned with in this year's champion hurdle division but it was a fantastic renewal of the Hassan's race it was a very strong renewal of the race and uh as I said, I think it was probably a stronger race yesterday than when she won it last year and it was probably as good a performance from her. I guess all good things have to come to an end but I did think Henry de Bromhead was pretty disappointed afterwards in his interview. He was, but again, Magnanus in defeat, you know, he knew the day was going to come and I think to go out in your shield as she did, the way she battled, is better than a Shishkin pulling up in the champion chase mm. or a massive, you know, a head-scratching problem where you're thinking... Is she gone? Which is, you know, a case in point where they had maybe with absolute tired this year in the Bedford chase, but now he has to come back and prove his well-being. Whereas we know Honeysuckle has come back. She's well. She's ran well. 
and they can build on that because it's her first season of reappearance. And as horses get older, a little bit like people, <laughs> they're a little bit uh, harder to get fit. At not home. us, though, Jane, and not maybe us. <laughs> maybe, we, maybe she might have just needed the competition as well. But look, ultimately, they're obviously going to be disappointed because they've been on this fairy tale journey with her. And that journey will continue. I still mm-hmm. think she's as good as she, could, she might ever be. Um, but she needs to prove that now next time we see her in February. Okay, well, look, we'll be keeping an eye on her anyway, for sure. Uh, So there were two other grade ones yesterday, Jane, that you were telling us about on Friday and Mighty Potter made a statement in the Bar 1 racing Drinmore Novice Chase at Fairy House. Yeah, a marvellous performance from him and from Jack Kennedy because he probably was in front sooner than he would have wanted. He made a couple of novice errors which showed his inexperience having won his beginner's chase at Down Royal, he was going straight into grade one company and he was in against stiff competition. The horse of Willie Williams is a finished second. Guyard de Manila is a very high rating over fences. He's a grade one placed horse and a horse who was third in the Irish Grand National and far more experienced than Mighty Potter. But Mighty Potter looked the winner everywhere and he travelled with such ease and fluency and the horse that was third, Banbridge, an Arkle trial winner for Joseph O'Brien at Cheltenham. So it was a very strong renewal of the Dream More if you were to draw a parallel between that and the Henry VIII chase, which was run at Sandown, where John Bond won impressive. There was way more depth to the race in Fairy House, and if those two horses were ever to meet, it would be a spectacular um, duel between the pair of them. And, of course, the Royal Bond was a huge result for Barry O'Connell. We know him as an owner. We've known him as a former rider. But now as a trainer, he got his first grade one on the board. And in the hands of Michael O'Sullivan, who a 22-year-old guy from Mallow, County Cork, he turned pro this summer. He's got an ag science degree to his name in college. He's he's done an awful lot of work in a lot of sh- in a short space of time, and he gave his horse the ride that Barry Garrity or Ruby Walsh should be mm. proud of. He was so cool. Um, things didn't go to plan through the race. He got inconvenienced by Hercule Desoy making a mistake, but on Marine Nacional, he's so much confidence to wait and make his manoeuvre just before the last. In which case, his horse makes an absolutely dreadful mistake. It looks like he hands the initiative to Jack Kennedy on Irish Point, but he had the gears, the speed to pick him up before the line. And it was just, it was a head bobber, but you'd have to think that Marie Nacional has an awful lot of pace and on better ground over two miles, maybe in the Supreme Novices, he could be a huge horse for Barry Conlon and Michael O'Sullivan. Well, Jane, you gave me some advice. You said to keep an eye out for Facile Vega, and I did, and it was uh, worth, worth looking. Yeah, I think I think anybody in the world, anything could have told you to keep an eye out for Facile Vega. He was, he's so well-named. He's just, ab- everything Facile you would think, everything just the name suggests he is. And I've it's been a while since I've seen a horse run through the winning post after running two miles as strong as he has. Uh, I venture to say he's probably understood as the last time I've seen a horse do that. He had the reputation from last year. We know how good he was in bumpers, but his fluency over hurdles is natural. And he kind of looks like you have no idea where his ceiling lies. And that is telling you something after horses won a pair of great ones. That's exciting. And anything else, Jane, from the weekend? Well, of course, you have to mention Tingle Creek. Mm-hmm. A lot of eyes were on Shishkin. We hadn't seen him since he blew out in the champion chase. And Grenatine, the reigning champion, was in there for Paul Nichols, who's winning all around him in the UK at the moment. But Hats off to Alan King, who got a lot of stick for pulling out Edward Stone out of Ascot a couple of weeks ago. He waited with his Arkle winner, and the patience was rewarded. Tom Cannon gave him a comfortable ride in behind the leaders. He, he waited until two out to press the button, and he ultimately pulled away from a horse rated 171. So Edward Stone definitely throws his hat into the champion chase ring. 
straight from novice ranks. He's a real force this year. And hopefully this Sunday in Cork, we'll see the return of an Ergamine in the Hillyway Chase, the race where he started his Champion Chase campaign last year. And let's see if we can uh, lay down our own gauntlet. But as it stands, Edward Stone is a f- horse to follow this year. Very good, Jane. Uh, we will check in with you again on Friday. Thank you for all of that. It was a very enjoyable weekend of racing, I have to say. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Welcome back. We are just minutes away from the Brazil-South Korea team. It's kicking off at 7 o'clock and it is on RTE television. Paul Corey, I'd imagine there's a lot of Brazilian team news. There is, and there's only one survivor from the other night, and that is Militao, who comes in at right back. So 10 changes from, from that team, which is huge for Brazil. The majority of these players won't have played for a week. And the big news, I guess, Marie, is, is Neymar starts. So <laughs> I probably didn't see that happening, yeah. you know, given the, the extent of the ankle injury. But he starts and I, I think that's important for them to have that stardust and you look at the forward line Neymar, Vinicius, Richarlison, Rafinha they're going to create so many chances and I think this would be a straightforward for, one for them tonight Yeah Fergie it'd almost feel like they just want to have the team now together that they will probably play as many games as possible throughout the rest of this World Cup or however long they're in it for Yeah I mean you look at this team tonight and if, if as expected Brazil get through and then they want to power on and on and on I can't see this being too different than the team you would anticipate Brazil to play in every game. Um, Neymar back, obviously it's something that they will keep an eye on because he's been effectively rushed through his rehabilitation. Hopefully there won't be a, a breakdown in mm. this. I think if Brazil are comfortable, if they're mm. a couple of goals to good um, going into the final stages, I think we could see him taken off to give him a bit of a break. Um, but as a team... I fully expect this to be Brazil's 11 and I fully expect Brazil to go all the way. Uh, If they go to the final, I think this will be the team that will start. Okay, well, uh, Fergal and Paul, thank you so much for joining us. We do have a winner of the overlap tickets and it is Aideen Mulkerns from Galway who correctly said that Roy Keane was the pundit who once played for Cove Ramblers. Beta da Silva is up next. Live across the nation. And on the RTE Radio Player, this is...